gentlemen, how are you doing? It's your boy. That's right. You already know what time it is. We are back with another episode. Welcome to Life's a Bodge, baby. It's your boy, your favorite neighborhood Prince of Bodge. Y'all already know who I am. I mean, but I, I like to introduce myself because we probably got some new listeners out there, some new viewers on YouTube, all that good stuff. Love you guys. I appreciate y'all support. Y'all know when I come back, you know, I always come back and I'm always bringing y'all something special, bringing y'all some new guests if I'm not doing a side bonus episode and everything. But I want to give this quick announcement, y'all. Check this out. Would you believe it? I didn't realize that we celebrated a year of being in existence as a show. It has officially been a year as of early October. I mean, this journey has still felt like I just started, but guys, we are literally a year into the Life's Botch podcast, and we're not even into 50 episodes yet. We're literally on the road to 50 as we speak. We are very, very close. So I'm going to try to do something very special for you guys on that 50th episode. Uh, it's been an amazing journey, and I thank all of you guys who've been riding with your boy. But without further ado, like I said, we got a special guest in the house, and y'all know how I do. I like to give epic intros. I like to do this in, in so many, so many ways and fashions. So I am actually very, very honored to introduce this guest right here before me, guys. I cannot wait to tell you guys. I mean, the, the resume is just huge on this man. I mean, I'm talking about titles upon titles, European championships, intercontinental championships. I mean, like... Uh, hardcore champion i mean for sure you know we know this man is a hardcore maestro uh tag team champions i mean this man has won championships upon championships and is a true workhorse in all of professional wrestling for sure and definitely i mean you guys may know him from an infinite show you know uh known as tough enough you know which is definitely one of my favorite shows back in the day for sure uh, i'm sure you guys like i said you've seen him on the indie scene, you guys have seen him in the Attitude Era, one of the greatest, if not the greatest era, arguably, in professional wrestling. I mean, again, this man, literally, if that doesn't help, I, I can give you this right here. How about this, guys? What does everybody want? Wait, don't answer that, because I know you already know the answer, guys. Without further ado, hi, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce, coming to the Life's of Botch podcast, my special guest, of this evening, my man, the one and only, Mr. Al Snow. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing thank great, you, sir. thank you for what an incredible introduction. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. You know, I, I, I try to do that for my guests, man. And I mean, a man of your stature, I can't not be epic for like what you have done. I mean, you have literally accomplished and done so much. Um, like, so it's, a, it's, I, I, I should be thanking you, man. Like what an honor it is to just give you an epic intro. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. If I were any better, I'd be jealous of myself. <laughs> isn't that the truth? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. isn't that a feeling to be jealous of yourself? I mean, like, oh, uh, no, can't get no better than that. <laughs> man. So, um, talk to, talk to us, man. How have you personally been doing, uh, what a year it's been full of, ups downs in betweens it's been one heck of a roller coaster year that's for sure and uh still getting crazier i mean like new presidency all kind of stuff just going on these days man so how, how have you been doing how you been feeling what's been going on in al snow's world lately man 
Well, you know, much like everybody else, we're all facing struggles and challenges, uh, you know, with the world that the way it is uh, with the pandemic, um, you know, and potentially being shut down again at any moment. Um, it was enough of a challenge through the first uh, lockdown. Um, and, you know, luckily, though, we were able to survive and not only survive, but thrive. Um, just prior to the lockdown, we were going uh, to start broadcasting on our first uh, national television network, which the YTA network reaches about 44 million homes. Uh, once we got our foot in the door, basically on the national platform, though, um, it, it opened up wide, full bore, and uh, we're now on eight different national networks. We reach about 150 million homes worldwide, or I mean, uh, nationally, just nationwide. And, um, you know, our partners in the UK, FilmVolt, uh, have worked it out to where we have our own Roku channel for OVW. We have, uh, we're on Amazon Fire and Amazon Prime. And, um, and we're on um, a European sports channel called the uh, Sports International, which allows us to reach about 690 million homes worldwide with our OVW television show and uh, our secondary show, Overdrive. So it all just came about uh, in the midst of a pandemic um, that where we experienced an incredible amount of growth in spite of being locked down. Um, we've had to be forced to be very creative and come up with some new directions and new ideas on ways that we can stay afloat and stay in business. And uh, luckily things are working out. Yes, and that is the most important part to hear. I am so happy to know that things are working out. Things are going in a positive direction. Wrestling as a whole, man, I talk about a difference of what has just happened from the start of the year to about not even a quarter into the year. And then like even just in the middle of the year to now as we're getting ready to close out the year and how now we're in this adjustment period the world of professional wrestling has literally found a way to adapt uh, throughout all of this. And it's, it's just amazing to see now uh, how things are getting back into the fold after an amount of shock and how things just went. But it is so good to see um, every company, every every company out there, promotion, indie, professional, wherever, wherever be, it's just good to see wrestling back and literally doing and and really adjusting and just continuing to entertain fans uh whether it's with fans without fans or a little bit in between so um with ovw that's a very great start uh you know because we definitely see you repping there we see the ovw merch going on there you know for sure so um let's let's talk a little bit about ovw man um what 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 an amazing organization that literally just developed so many talents over the years, the Brock Lesnar's, the Randy Orton's, the Batista's, and so many, I mean, Shelton Benjamin's, I mean, I could, you could go on and, and including now with just with the rising stars of today, like what is, what has it been like uh, just running OVW and just running it as a promotion as of late? Well, OVW, you know, has a long, uh, long history, like you, you mentioned, uh, you know, we've been, OVW had been in business for probably uh, over 30 years um, as a uh, independent territory, 
and then uh, became affiliated with WWE as a developmental territory um, and turned out uh, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, Batista, John Cena, uh, The Miz, um, CM Punk. Uh, um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Beth Phoenix and, you know, um, Victoria and uh, Alicia Fox, I mean, and uh, um, Maurice and um, just, you know, um, I think we at last count, uh, it's probably around 200 alumni that have been in WWE um, or have went on to have major careers in other major companies around the world. Um, and three quarters of the, of the main events of WrestleMania for the last probably 10, 15 years have had an OVW alumni in them. Um, so we've, you know, got a very long history of developing uh, professional wrestling talent. Um, you know, when the relationship with WWE ended, um, um, became a uh, developmental um, program for Impact Wrestling. And turned out uh, some incredible talent for that company. Yeah. And when that ended, um, you know, about June of 2018 was when I bought the company. Mm -hmm. And my partner, Chad Miller, and I have worked uh, very hard. Yeah. Uh, it took us about, oh, God, about a year and a half, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but we were finally able to become the very first in the world mm -hmm. um, state accredited a trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting. So there's nowhere else in the world that, um, you know, a professional wrestling school is actually accredited by the state office of proprietary education. They oversee uh, universities, uh, trade schools, like, you know, beautician school, barber school, uh, morticians, uh, licensed masseuse, et cetera. They, they oversee all the secondary education after uh, the primary of uh, high school, um, you know, and for us to get that accreditation, it was pretty, pretty incredible and pretty, pretty much a major achievement, um, considering there's nowhere else in the world that you can get that. So um, we're very proud of that. And, um, you know, it allows us to teach these young men and women skills outside of the ring that one, and for one, help them to be better performers inside the ring, but also um, since it's in a matter of uh, when, not if, your career in the ring is gonna come to an end, mm -hmm. now these men and women have, um, you know, they have skills that they can continue to make a living within the professional wrestling or entertainment business um, and still be a part of it um, without actually having to be necessarily an in-ring performer. Yes, sir. Love it, love it. And major congrats um, to you definitely on just that boss move of like buying a promotion and, and, and partnering and just literally building it, you know, rebuilding what already has so much history from the ground up and making it its own thing now. Like, like what, um, what is that process? What was that process like for you? Uh, because again, with someone who's just done it all, who's been in the ring, who's trained and who's just been behind the scenes who's done pretty much everything to now like buy a promotion you know what what is that like uh you know explain to someone that may just have that casual fan like experience what is that like when you're buying a promotion up like that uh, the first and foremost you have to um address uh the roster um 
the, the talent. Um, they're the key to everything. Um, the professional wrestling business is the professional wrestlers business. And, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you have the right, the right, the proper talent. And what I mean by the proper talent is you have to have self-motivated, driven, passionate, uh, performers. Um, if you don't have that, um, no matter how much you do for them, um, no matter what kind of a platform you build for them, um, it's never going to be enough because they're never going to really um, take the opportunity that you're presenting to them and exploit it to its fullest potential. And if they don't, then it's next to impossible to, you know, make money and stay in business. Um, and it, it can become very much a challenge um, trying to find those people, um, you know, that are going to, um, when they go out there, are going to do everything they can to, you know, take the ball and run with it as far as they can. Um, not having to rely on anyone else, uh, being completely um, driven all by themselves. So that's, that's a big challenge. The second is to build the platform itself to, you know, up the production values of the TV and the lighting and the sound and the look um, and modernize it so that, you know, um, the talent have the best opportunity to sell themselves as stars, not just wrestlers, but as actual stars, as attractions, um, to, you know, give a product that uh, television networks feel like they can sell. Uh, otherwise, they're not going to put you on the air, um, you know, and, uh, and then representatives um, feel like they could take that product out and they can garner uh, sponsorship dollars uh, for it. Um, so it all comes down to, you know, creating that platform with a roster that creates a product that, you know, people feel like they can also mutually capitalize on and if they invest their time, money and effort into it. And uh, it's taken about two and a half years to do so, but we've, we've finally been able to reach that point where um, the product and the roster and the platform all mesh together so well that, like I said, we're on eight different national networks now. Yes, yes. And, and again, I just, that definitely makes me feel good to see the progress, you know, to see what you guys are doing. Uh, and just, again, I love seeing all of these promotions shine in their own ways because as much, you know, for the wrestling fan, it's so much wrestling that sometimes it's like, man, we get spoiled with how much wrestling there is because there's like, you, when you realize, you know, when you first get introduced into it, let's say WWE was probably the first promotion you got introduced to. And then all of a sudden you find out, oh, you know, there's impact. Oh, there's MLW. Oh, there's, uh, you know, New Japan. Oh, you know, OVW. And, and then the next thing you know, you're finding, as you mentioned, all of these different talents, people that you then gravitate to. And you're like, well, I like this talent. I like that talent. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing and to experience and to see. Uh, but a lot of times what I like to do on this show, which is why I ask those questions to you, because what I like to do is I like to pull the curtain back a little bit for the casual fan or someone who may not have been into wrestling at all, you know, or if, or if they either used to be, or they probably never were, uh, you know, this gives them a whole new light and they start respecting the business in a, in a different way that they never really looked at it before, you know, because 
some casual people may look at it a certain way and, and think it's no big deal. Like, oh, it's this and that. But stuff like what you just mentioned with the business aspect, building a promotion from the ground up like that, very important aspects to, you know, just teach the uneducated eye. And I love hearing, you know, the progress that you guys are creating. And, and I definitely wish the best for OVW success continuing to grow such as that. So I would ask you also, uh, being over a promotion, when you speak about the talent that you spoke of, what do you look for in the talent when you see what you see? Because uh, growing up over the years, there's always been so many different uh, aspects of what goes into a what makes a wrestler uh, a star, if you will, or what makes someone the next big thing, uh, you know, from physique or charisma, you know, um, athleticism. And there's just so many different aspects with the evolution of the business. What do you personally look for, sir? Um, the edict right now that I've set out for everybody is because we have people coming in all the time now because of the a massive amount of television exposure we can get a talent. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of talent that are interested in being a part of things. Um, number one, first and foremost, is that they have to make me believe that they're a professional wrestler. They have to look the part. Um, they have to be marketable from an appearance standpoint. It is a cosmetic business. Uh, I don't need them to look like a bodybuilder, but I need them to look like they physically make their living in a competitive combat situation. If they don't, then that, that tells me right off the bat that they're not taking it seriously, that they're not passionate about it because they're not investing the necessary time, money, and effort in themselves. Um, you know, I'm gonna look at the gear. I'm gonna look, does it look professional? Does it look like, you know, they're making the attempt to try to be a star, um, you know? Uh, or are they just wearing the typical indie wrestling outfit that they just slapped together because they just didn't want to spend too much money? Um, well, then, if you're not willing to spend too much money on yourself, I'm certainly not willing to invest the incredible amount of money that I do on a weekly basis on you on TV. Um, second is a good attitude. Um, I need people to be positive. I need them to be self-motivated. I need them to be driven. And I need them to be passionate. Um, I don't need to be able to have to come in and hold them by the hand and uh, beg, plead, uh, preach, uh, advise, argue, harangue, scream, yell at, to motivate them to come in and do the things that they need to do on their own to be successful. Um, they either want it or they don't. Um, the third is um, to be coachable to be directable, um, you know, contrary to what they may believe, uh, no matter how long they've been performing in wrestling, um, you know, they don't know everything. And um, they still, because of, you know, after 38 years, I still am learning every day. So when I meet somebody who's a young person and they assume that they already know everything and that there's nothing more to learn, well then, there's nothing more for me to teach and there's no place for you to grow. So this would be the wrong place for you to come. Um, you know, you're always endeavoring to learn more and to understand better so that you can uh, take advantage of the opportunities and be as much of a star as you possibly can be 
to uh, motivate people to want to pay to see you because that ultimately is your job. And uh, if you're not interested in doing that and you're not interested in being directed or coached in that manner, um, then again, OVW is not the place for you. Man, that is very well said, sir. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's very crazy as I, as I listened to what you were saying, because um, you know, this, it's, a, it's a good transition actually um, in a way, because I was thinking about, I was actually going back and uh, shout out to the WWE Network for just having all the seasons of Tough Enough, because I went back and I was um, watching them. I find myself watching them actually pretty often uh, because Growing up, I remember watching it and, you know, it was just cool to watch in general at the time of being a kid. But then as I got older and really started really appreciating the business even more on a more mature standpoint uh, to rewatch it. And even in listening to your response there, reminded me of how you were when you were training a lot of those kids and contestants that were a part of the show over the years, because you know, there were, you know, whether some of it may have been for TV, whether some of it may have been legit people acting like they knew everything or like, oh yeah, I could, I could come in there. I got the look, I got the athleticism. I can come in here and, you know, do my thing, man. I'm, I'm born for this. I'm built for this. And to see how, how humbling that process would be week after week like that. Um, God is, you know, again, I know some, you know, with MTV and the networks at the time, uh, for what that was back then. I know that, you know, networks do some certain things that are probably like, you know, for show on television, but for the most part, uh, you could see what was genuine with you guys, especially training them and letting them know, hey, you're stepping into our business and you're going to get the real about it. And we're giving you a one of what we go through on a daily from being on the road to, you know, taking these bumps, learning the basics, uh, learning what and what not to do um what was that what was that like for you like how did you how did you become a part of tough enough and ultimately ended up being like a consistent trainer like that well i became part of tough enough um because uh jr jim ross uh knew of my background and training people i had had my own school um in ohio and then um he had spoken to Kevin Dunn. Uh, Kevin Dunn uh, introduced me to Big, uh, named John Gaborik, um, who was the producer of Tough Enough for WWE. Um, and then, all, then he in turn introduced me to uh, to the production team for MTV and uh, Ken Bach. Um, and uh, at the time, it was pretty groundbreaking because they really the only. Um, reality shows at the time were uh, real world and uh, survivor series or survivor. Um, and so they combined both aspects for the very first time of having, you know, like real world, having young, young people living in a house, but not just living in a house, but actually competing for a dream. Um, and that had at that time never been done. Um, the uh, it was different then than it is now because there was not the concept of what they call uh, scripted reality. Mm -hmm. um, um, so the, what you saw was what you got. Um, they didn't uh, do or create anything for TV. Um, 
they didn't tell us what to or not to do other than they didn't want us interacting with the, the uh, trainees um, except for during training time that for the first, the first season, which they changed because they realized that it, there was a, a dynamic, a dynamic there with relationships that were created that, you know, went well beyond just inside the ring. And uh, basically they just turned the cameras on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, you know, and we would work with the kids and interact with them. Um, they would create situations like, you know, where they'd take us on a trip or they would um, take us to a restaurant or a nightclub, hoping that there would be some kind of interaction between the kids, something that would happen with them, some kind of drama or, you know, somebody might hook up. But the problem was, is that they were, you know, the WWE side was so intent on making sure that the kids paid their dues that, and so was the MTV side, that um, after spending six or seven hours in the ring with me and Bob Holly and Taz and, you know, all, uh, you know, all of the different trainers, um, they would send them off to do like a boot camp for an hour every day, um, that where they were just tortured. Um, ridiculously so by the time they were done training for the day uh four days a week they were so physically exhausted all they wanted to do was go home and go sleep they wanted to eat and they wanted to go to bed um but things weren't manufactured for tv back then um you know what they did was they just took the situations and the circumstances and they edited it all together uh for a weekly episode and um you know, what you saw was what you got. Wow. And, you know, it's it's in hearing that explanation, um, again, with the slight pull behind the curtain like that, you know, that, that was something I also wondered because you definitely can see the difference uh, between the seasons that you were a part of and then how when they kind of brought it back over the years, uh, because I remember just, I actually wanted them to bring that show back because I really, truly enjoyed watching tough enough um from the original on up but i could see the difference and as you mentioned like how it just it, it changed and i guess uh at the time of when they brought the previous seat the previous seasons that came after you guys were a part of it um as you mentioned reality tv at that point was starting to really evolve like it was one too many shows just all over the place the vh1s the you know all the other networks that were brewing good shows but you could feel the authenticness of what that was back then and, and I, I even now when I look back at it and I watch it like I said I was watching it earlier this week and I just felt it you know I could see everything was genuine everything was legit everything was like hey man this is literally what we do and you take it and either you're tough enough or you're not tough enough. Um, which is why that title was so perfect uh, for a show like that, because I truly enjoyed, but um, let's, 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 let's talk about for sure. Um, so with you, good sir, um, I have a funny story to share with you actually. <laughs> um, I, back in my childhood, when I first got introduced into professional wrestling, right in the golden age of, the attitude era, as you know, the um, the good old days, as they say. Um, when I saw you, 
I actually live at my very first WWF event. Uh, well, F at the time, WWF event at the time. And it was, I'm from, originally, I live in Atlanta, but I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So at the time, uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre uh, in the Pyramid, which now is a pro bash shop, as we know, the, one of the world's biggest. But at the right. time, when it was right. a venue, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, uh, uh, in the church that I grew up in, uh, I was a part of a drill team, and our drill team sergeant, had won free tickets on the radio, I believe, uh, to go to that very event. And so I remember um, he took his son, he took me and he took my cousin and we were super excited because we we could not wait. We were like, man, we've been watching this on TV week after week after week. So we actually get to see it live for the first time. And so we were there and I remember walking in and you know the wwf shop zone at the time i remember you walk in and you know i think that was even my first time in the pyramid for that matter so just to see how huge the pyramid was and to see everything going around seeing the wrestling fans and cosplaying and the signs and everything it was just like this is cool and so i remember uh, my mother and my aunt, my cousin's mom had gave us some, you know, gave us a little money, you know, because they were like, hey, go have a good time. You're going to a wrestling event. And so we went straight to the merchandise booth. And I remember I was like, okay, so I'm going to represent somebody, somebody. And Al Snow, I promise you, you were, you were always a standout to me. Like you were always one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I just really, I think it was it for sure. It was just the fact that you, that head, man, that head literally just, I don't know what it was, man. It always just was like, yo, I like this guy. Like, I like the fact this man has a head and he's yeah. literally out here. He's using it as a weapon. He's shaking it. And I just, I always thought it was so cool. Cause you know, you're a kid. So you don't really grasp maybe what the character was portraying, but you're just, Again, you're loving it, you know, and it just gravitated to me. I'd say you got you got exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was funny. So like I remember when I got to the shop zone, I remember uh I think my cousin ended up getting like a poster of Jacqueline. They had like a, a poster of her, like you know, um posing. And I remember he got a like that poster of Jacqueline, and I remember seeing the mannequin heads. And I said, hey, I'm going to get that because I know Al Snow is going to be in the building and I want to be able to just shake this mannequin head as soon as his music hits. And so I remember, like, I forgot really how much they were selling it for at that time, but I remember it was it was pretty pricey at, at, at that time. Uh, and I do remember, I just, hey, I was like, I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to buy this. So I'm going to, but I didn't realize that it wasn't going to be as decked out as yours was. I thought right. at the time, like, oh, you know, it's going to have the wig. It's going to you know, be decked out. Cool. Uh, didn't know I had to use my own creativity. So I just had the mannequin head, totally bald, no wig, no nothing. But I was in the crowd. Uh, I believe we were in the nosebleeds too, because we were using binoculars at times to kind of see you guys up close, but we still could see you from afar. Uh, I, I was, again, enjoying the atmosphere. Very fun show. And I just remember as soon as you came out, as soon as I heard it, what does everybody want? I literally could not wait. And I grabbed that mega head and I was just shaking, like just super ecstatic and happy. Like, man, 
my day is made. I'm good. I got to see Kane. I got to see The Rock, Mankind, Al Snow. Like, this has been a fun day. Like, I'm, I'm great. And, uh, but the, the sad part about all of that was when I got home, <laughs> unfortunately, I kind of got yelled at by my mother because it was like, you bought a mannequin head that I could have given you totally for free because I have all these wigs and I could have just <laughs> gave you one of those. And <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately for me, I at the end of that, you know, we didn't yeah. get to eat that night, but it's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I, upon meeting you, sir, I just had to share that story with you because that was always something I'll never forget when I think about you. But man, you've had just a lot of memorable matches, memorable feuds. You know, I think about like head cheese, uh, you know, with you and Steve Blackman. I mean, what, how did that come about back then? Like, you know, I know with the Attitude Era, there were so many different things. You guys were just like, we're throwing it and we're going with it. It's over. Cool. Let's, let's, let's run with it. So how did that come about initially when they were tag teaming you guys like that? Um, at the time, uh, uh, Frank Wurtz had come to me with an idea um, called the Swarm, which was where uh, we were starting to do, starting the ball rolling, where I would different people, but I would turn on all of them, and then eventually, um, uh, they would all come out and attack me, and I'd be off TV for a couple of weeks, and then when they were all in the ring together, I was gonna come out on the stage and uh, an air raid siren would hit and you know from out from underneath the ring would come a bunch of uh, little people all dressed alike and they would swarm um, the uh, the guys in the ring they'd be attacked by an army of midgets and um, so um, uh, for whatever reason Vince didn't like the idea um, and uh, they were you know gourds kind of I guess decided they put me briefly with Steve Blackman. Um, and so I went to Brian and I pointed out that I could make Brian, uh, Steve's lack of a personality, his personality by pointing it out. And um, so it, it turned out really well because we, um, you know, got to do all these vignettes and had a blast uh, outside the ring together because we just had a certain chemistry that worked him being a straight man and you know, me being the crazy guy, um, people loved it to the point to where we, our segments, uh, our backstage segments were the highest uh, rated segments on SmackDown. Um, you know, we had every week we were, you know, had three or four backstage segments every single week uh, on the television show. So um, it, you know, was a blast. Um, was really, really good run. Yeah, man. I mean, and and again, I, you had, there's just so many that come to mind. Cause again, like I said, you were always in terms of just an age where, you know, everything was from top to bottom, from main event, mid card, you name it, anything, however you put it, like everybody made an impression going back to like what you were talking about earlier of wanting to be a professional wrestler, like, do you make yourself stand out? And I think that's what always stands out to me about the Attitude Era is just the fact that you will always remember just about everyone that you can think of off the top. You know, you didn't have sure. to be a main eventer. You didn't have to win all the championships. You didn't have to, you know, it was just 
your character really carried itself more than anything. And again, like it was something like to 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 see that you portray someone who's like a crazy man per se, you know, but you know, it's just so enjoyable, you know, or things like the job squad and being able to like just take that and run with it and just like create like a stable of where like hey man we're 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 tired of we're not jobbers you know like we're, we're this and that like i just love how you guys took everything wrong with were there, were there ever any was there ever anything you didn't enjoy uh in your times like were there any other creative ideas you didn't really particularly get around with no i enjoyed everything i uh you know there were times i would go out and i'd feel a little goofy and you know or i'd feel like was being made to look like an ass. And so I just simply make the decision that I was going to make myself look like as big an ass as possible. Try to take the control away from them and, you know, put it back in my, back in my hands. And, um, you know, that way I could feel like I was the one that was in charge. And um, in, it's funny that at those times when I felt the most uncomfortable and then forced myself to go even bigger and further, are the times that a lot of fans to this day still come up and, you know, speak of and remind me of and uh, talk about how much it meant to them uh, when they watched it. So, you know. And I, and I can attest because definitely, again, just you, you meant a lot to me, obviously, for me to go and purchase a mannequin head as a kid and not even realize what I was yeah. truly getting and what I really had to do, uh, you know, silly me right but it's still just the fact that it was like just so i can be that fan out there cheering on al snow out there and just having a good time because you know such a relatable character i mean i felt like i was goofy i felt like i was crazy i felt like i was you know a fun loving guy you know so of course you know i just related and um you know what i would ask then is also now you had a, a nice spot that you would do a lot of times in hardcore matches especially uh, you know, which I always enjoyed hardcore matches uh, because, or gimmick matches as they even say, but hardcore matches where you always had a creative spot where, you know, your opponent's in the corner and you pull out the old faithful bowling shirt and you put it around and then you, oh, yeah. you pull out that old faithful and you give it in, uh, give it that nice uh, in-betweener, you know, give it that nice strike right there, which definitely that's a spot that was just like, ooh, I know that hurts, but how, how do you, um, so I take it, you, you know, because your form was very, very on point. So you're a legit professional bowler, I would say, huh? Oh, God, no, no, I'm not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not oh, at all. Oh, man, really? Wow. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. No, but, uh, but, you know, it was very always entertaining to do the old 7-10 split for a move in a hardcore match. People thought it was great. And I just kept adding to it, you know, initially I just had a bowling ball, then I had a bowling ball and then I had a bowling shirt, then I bowling a ball and a bowling shirt. And I had the, uh, the glove, mm -hmm. then a bowling ball, bowling shirt and a glove and a towel, you know, so I would go through all the warm up things like a guy would do, like he was just about to bowl a split or a, a strike yeah. and then throw the ball in somebody's crotch. So, <laughs> you know, Man, talk about golden. Like that's I'm almost surprised no one has really like maybe unless I mean not from what I've seen. I haven't seen too many talents really emulate that, like in a tribute form, you know, like let me give a tribute to Al, you know, I'm gonna pull out the old bowling vest, you know, and I'm just gonna, you know, 
give them a yeah. nice little spot in between her because I, I haven't seen that. So, I mean, if you have, by all means, let me know. I would love to see who's out there, you know, uh, channeling their inner Al Snow. But I for sure would have thought a form like that, man, you got to be hitting strikes left and right, man. But Yeah, no, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> oh, man. So what what does a guy like Al Snow? I mean, you know, I know wrestling is definitely around your life. Now, I see definitely you have a lot of comic book apparel so clearly sure. you are very much a fan and fanatic of the comic world uh, always have been yeah always mm -hmm. have been so uh so i take it that's more is that is that like a an outside hobby a get away from wrestling a lot of times i've always been an avid reader uh you know and especially when i started traveling and back in the day you know you didn't have the internet or anything so you had to entertain yourself somehow yeah. So, um, you know, I read, would read nonstop and, um, you know, I, uh, read all the classics that you're supposed to read and, uh, went through all of those, got to a point where, uh, you know, started reading paperback books and I went through thrillers and murder mysteries. And then I went into, you know, the sci-fi and the fantasy and yeah. problem was, is that I was reading them faster than they could print them because I was on the road so many days a week. And, um, you know, I got reintroduced to comic books by a friend by the name of Andy Smith, who I met in Florida, who was an artist uh, for a company at that time called CrossGen. And um, he reintroduced me to comic books. And um, so I um, started reading just the graphic novels that they printed. And at that time, the graphic novels were separate storylines. They were completely unique um, storylines. Um, and, uh, um, started reading those, read all of those, burned through those. So I started getting the weekly, uh, titles and then I was hooked from there. I just started reading, uh, every single week I would buy anywhere from a hundred to $200 worth of comic books, sit on the plane traveling and, and, uh, read comic books the entire trip there and back, um, you know, to keep myself occupied and, uh, um, you know, still to this day, um, still do the same thing, still read, read them all the time. Come on, man. That's just... so. Well, first off, let me ask this what have been your opinions on some of the modern day comics lately? Have you been enjoying them? Have you kind of? I like them very much. Um, you know, it was around the time of um, there was a title that came out in DC, it was called um, Identity Crisis. And um, it was really, really well written. And uh, DC was the, uh, the company that kind of writing became a lot more, a lot deeper, a lot more complex. The characters became more realistic. Um, you know, the interactions between them, not just between, you know, superhero and supervillain, but outside of that interaction became more real, um, you know, more human. And um, um, and the reproductive repercussions and the ramifications of the actions and then reactions of some of the behavior started to play out in a more realistic fashion. So, you know, like um, uh, you know, DC with Jeff Johns and um, Grant Morrison and uh, you know several other people really upped the game as far as writing was concerned. And then Marvel uh, stepped it up on their end and made it much, much more sophisticated, much more 
deeper and um, um, with Brian Michael Bendis and, you know, um, you know, uh, brought in Christopher Priest to have a run long before the movie um, because the movie wouldn't even be the movie. Black Panther wouldn't be the movie without uh, Christopher Priest's run on Black Panther. Um, he kind of did what uh, Grant Morrison did for Batman um, in DC where he redefined uh, Batman and made him this uh, paranoid kind of over-planning, anxiety-ridden, you know, guy that even fellow members of the Justice League kind of found as brooding and dark and, you know, humorless. And, uh, you know, Christopher Priest did an awesome job on his run with Black Panther to, you know, Black Panther was always a guy, but you just like, well, he's just a guy in a cat outfit. When you find out that he's, you know, he's almost like he's Marvel's, you know, uh, Batman where he's, he's got a plan on top of a plan on top of a plan. And, you know, he's this master strategist and, you know, he's always not one, but five steps ahead. And, you know, did, did an awesome job with that. And, um, you know, it was too bad when Priest, you know, his run on uh, Black Panther came to an end because he, he did, a, did an awesome job with it. Awesome job. And, that, and that's, that's I'm glad, glad you mentioned that because I was actually going to mention the dynamic of the whole movies and comics kind of deal because uh, someone who knows the comics very well. Now I'm such a big movie buff, um, but you know, I do, you know, I do have knowledge of the comics, you know, as well, but for the most part, you know, I'm such a movie buff, you know, that it's always good to kind of like when you read a good book and you see a movie comes and you're like, oh, they kind of somewhat did it the way I imagined it or eh, they didn't really do it the way I kind of saw it. I would have did this that way. So um, what have been your thoughts? Um, let's start with DC. Um, some people feel like DC hasn't really lived up with their films as much. Uh, but their shows seem to be oh. pretty well. So what, what are your thoughts on DC? I agree. I think DC is finally starting to, to click a little bit, but I don't think they can capture. The one thing that Marvel has done really, really, really well is they've captured the human element of the their movies where the interaction between the characters is more real and more genuine and uh, more believable. And, you know, DC still hasn't, even though and on the comic book front, they were the ones that really led the way um, writing wise to do that in the movies, they still haven't quite figured that aspect of it out, how to, how to get these, these people like, you know, the Justice League to interact as real people, just in, in outfits with abilities, you know, and uh, Marvel, they, you know, they, they do. And it makes Marvel uh, a step ahead as far as uh, the movies are concerned. Mm, okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. So Mr. Snow, I do have a quick little segment I'm going to do with you. I haven't actually done this in quite a while. My, my listeners actually are probably like, wow, we haven't done this. This is one of their favorite segments as well. I do a little thing I like to call baby face or heel. And of course, as you know, in the wrestling business, it's such a major dynamic because you always have your baby face you always have your heel but yet not anymore not anymore yeah these days it's a little you know blended right you know you can't really tell but should uh, be able to 
you should be able to. I do agree. I do agree. You definitely should be able to. However, as you know, um, for a while, it's always been that way where the heel usually gets more cheered, you know, even though they're supposed to be booed, you know, people seem to like. Well, and then, then that means they're baby face. Exactly. Right. Isn't that weird? Like, you're supposed to be booed, no. you know, but it's, it's really weird. But with this segment, I kind of put a little twist on it and I want to do a like a like a like a superhero version of it, you know what I'm saying? Because you're you're a big superhero buff, so I would like to uh, see if you're gonna go the babyface route or the heel route on this particular subject matter. So I'm gonna start with question number one, sir. Um, <clears throat> Toby Maguire is the best Spider-Man. Are you going babyface or heel on that thought? Uh boy. Um I'd have to say, was he the most recent one? The one in uh Endgame? That was actually Tom Holland. Yes. Yeah, I'd have to say Tom Holland was pretty is pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'd have to go heal. I'd have to heal on uh Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. You know, yeah. and I that's definitely a heel response because for a lot of people really are passionate about Toby Maguire because of the fact that at the time, that was the first visual Spider-Man movie. Obviously, they had three sequels. Uh, I didn't much care for Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, myself. Uh, I couldn't get into it. It didn't seem to gravitate me the same, you know? And then Tom Holland comes in Civil War. And yeah. man, I was just like, now this guy, he's Peter Parker and Spider-Man all in one. Like he fits both dynamics very well. So I, I definitely agree. would agree with that. So that's a good yeah. one. So let, let's transition from that superhero to a DC superhero that also gets changed in and out. Um, <clears throat> now let's see. Technically, I guess I'm gonna say this actor is probably portrayed as the best Batman. Uh, Christian Bale, baby face or heel on him being the best Batman on screen portrayed would you say i'd have to heal him because i'd have to say michael keaton was Ooh, original okay i like that i like that that guy you know his his suit man it gave me that uh animated series vibe man you know like seeing like that's one of my favorite batman suits personally just the original batman suit like that you know to it gave it that nice you know symbolic feel and he has that look too. It's something about the chin, the facial features, you know, like yeah. he puts on the suit. You're like, oh yeah, that's Batman, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I definitely have to agree with that. Um, okay, babyface or heel. Um, there will never be a replacement for Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I'd have to babyface that. Uh, you know, it'd be tough. He, he was like he was born to play Wolverine, you know. He had the attitude, had the look, had the had the build. Um, you know, he embodied um, a, a real life Wolverine guy. What you would think Wolverine would be. Yes, yes, okay, I love it, and I, I totally have to agree with you. I'm definitely babyface all the way on that subject matter. I mean, we'll see. You know, the the jury stands. Maybe somebody might change our minds down the line in some type of remake. I mean, we see that uh, now the X-Men have made their way to the MCU. So we'll see what happens, right? We'll see. Um, right. 
so a couple more for you and then I'll get ready to let you go. Good, sir. Um, all right. So Ryan Reynolds, uh, as we know, this man made, does he make a better Deadpool for sure than he does a Green Lantern? Baby face? Absolutely. Makes much, much better Deadpool than he does as a Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> Hal Jordan, he is not. <laughs> is there anybody you could ever think of that would make a good Hal Jordan just out of thought? It could be an old school. You know, probably like a like a Brad Pitt would be a would be a great Hal Jordan. You know, mm, yeah, Brad Pitt. You know what? Yeah. I never would have thought of that guy. He mm-hmm. probably would he could be. carry he could carry it off for sure. For sure, I like that answer. I love that answer. And then uh, let me see what was my final one. Uh, oh, my final one for you, good sir, is <clears throat> this one is actually near and dear to my heart. It's same with the Hugh Jackman standpoint. Um, now, it remains to be seen because they do have a new actor that's getting ready to play him in a remake. But do you think that Wesley Snipes is the one and only true blade for that particular character? You know, I would have said so until I saw the announcement for the actor that they have to replace him. And I think that that, um, that actor, he played uh, Cottonmouth and in Luke Williams. Luke Cage, yes, Luke yes. Cage Power Man. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I think he could do. I could think he could do the the role justice. I yeah. think he could do the job. So. I was thinking that. I, I can't wait to see this remake because I, I I was thinking the same thing. Like, and and it, that's why I'm excited about the Wolverine aspect because Hugh Jackman set the standard. So sure has to try to level to it or surpass it. You know. So yep. We'll see what happens, but um. Man, Mr. Al Snow, listen, I went all over the place with you today, you know, because, you know, we can talk wrestling all day, every day, but, you know, I wanted to mix it up with you a little bit because, again, you know, it's good sure. to get away from it. You know, sometimes I hear, you know, wrestlers don't really always want to talk wrestling because, you know, that's work, you know, and like I said, you know, this is, even though this is a wrestling show, you know, I like to take a little bit everywhere with it, you know, and keep it wrestling related at the same time. So, certainly. Uh, Thank you so, so much for joining oh, us. Thank you. You know, um, is there anywhere, I mean, now I know you're, you, you know, you're, you're a pretty young guy, you know what I'm saying? You're a pretty young guy huh. like us. So yeah. <laughs> is there anywhere specific, uh, of course, we already know to look up OVW for sure, more than anything, definitely. I know that's definitely your main answer. However, is there anywhere people can personally follow you and keep up with you and Al Snow's work? Certainly on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, you can follow me at the real Al Snow. Um, before they started putting out the check marks and all that kind of stuff, um, there were some fakes out there, mm-hmm. and I just tell people all the time that if you're going to fake be me, I'm just going to message you and go, "Look, why don't you aim the bar higher?" <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be a fake being a celebrity, then I'd want to be somebody like George Clooney or Brad Pitt or, you know. Somebody like that, Come Wesley on. Snipes. I'm not gonna want to be me. Come so, on, but the real Al Snow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if anybody wants to have more information about OVW, they can go to ovwrestling.com, or they can go to aswa.live for information on the only uh, actual professional wrestling trade school and uh, for pro- trade school for professional wrestling broadcasting and entertainment in the world. And um, that's ASWA.live. 
and um, we're always uh, have an open enrollment. And uh, we just had our combine, second combine, just like the NFL, um, where we do use quantifiable metrics to uh, evaluate people's athleticism and um, attitudes, aptitudes, uh, everything. And um, we'll award um, the next few weeks, we're going to award seven of those participants uh, scholarships, two-year scholarships to, uh, to the school. So, all right, come on now, loving it, man. Wrestling with scholarships, too. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, listen. If you listen to my show, and I know you do because I, I see the numbers, people, I know you're out there, you shout yourselves out, and I love you. Okay, I love you. Al Snow loves you. We love you. This oh, yeah. is wrestling. This is what we do, guys. You keep us going, and I just want to thank you guys already. You know what to do, man. You can follow your boy personally at Dwayne Dickey Jr. Yes, that's my full name, people. It's the full government. Full government at Dwayne Dickey Jr. on Instagram. Or you can just follow the Life's of Bodge podcast on Instagram as well. Don't have a Twitter yet for that. It's kind of just my personal Twitter right now. But, you know, we'll work on that. You know, something about Twitter, just building the fan base over again. I don't know. Don't worry. Y'all keep asking me. I'll make the Twitter for that podcast. I promise. But in the meantime, I personally want to say thank you. Make sure you guys are continually rating. If you're listening on Spotify, you Spotifyians, hey, you know what to do. Hit that follow button up top. Make sure you say, you know, that you are followed and subscribed with us so that every time an episode drops, because you never know who's going to stop by on this very show. So you want to stay tuned. Hit that follow button. Every time a new episode posts, you will be the first one to see it. Same thing with you people on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and leave that five-star review. You know, let us know who you are. I would love to shout you out on the podcast as well. And of course, all things OTS. I want to shout out my OTS family, Six Families Radio, being broadcasted live as well. Uh, shout out to my people on YouTube, you know, to hit that subscribe button and that notification bell. And uh, yeah, man, www.otsguys.com. That's where you can find all things from Life's a Botch and everything else under the OTS umbrella. So without further ado, you already know. Wait, before I go, Mr. Snow. Yes. You have to do it one time for me. Can you do it one time for me? What does everybody want? Oh, you already know, ladies and gentlemen, we want head. That's right. We want head and we got head right here on the Life's of Botch podcast. This is Al Snow. This is your Prince of Botch, Dwayne Dickey. And we are signing out. See y'all next time.